Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The bar. Biblical and reforming. For those of us who claim Christ, our authority is the scripture. For those who don't claim Christ or who claim another, I'd like for them to, we challenge them to explain a standard of truth apart from scripture. Uh, it, it's explain the nature of good and evil apart, apart from the scripture. Um, that there, there's you you have no context. There's no justification for it except for the whims of of, man, of you know of men. And so, man, we we stand upon the foundation of the scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone, man. Doctrine, yeah, sola scriptura, scripture, scripture alone. That means scripture alone. What's your eternal situation for the age of creation? For he laid the foundation. Was the plan for expiation? Christ became propitiation. Meaning he switched his places on the cross for our disgraces. In the crowd he saw our faces. Welcome everybody to the bar where we are biblical and reformed. It's your boy Dwayne. We're live right now uh, in this uh, exciting, awesome chat, man. This is, uh, I guess guess this is like a... uh, uh, record breaker or or a new thing we're trying something totally new tonight uh something we've never done before but we hope you enjoy it and i'm always joined by my co-host mr barlow all the way from omaha nebraska how are you tonight sir i mean i can't complain man god has been good to me just thankful to be here tonight looking forward to the fellowship and discussion that's about this too yes sir and we're so graced and privileged to have not one, not two, not even three, but four guests on the line. Uh, so I have the healthy job of trying to pass this ball to everybody. Good thing I played point guard in high school, so I think I, I can do a good job of that. But first, I want to introduce uh, a brother that's also in Omaha, uh, Mr. Jonathan. You there, sir? How are you tonight? 
I sure am. Doing pretty good. How are you? Good, man. Good. Glad to have you here. Uh, Jonathan here. is uh, is is one of Barlow boys uh, in, in Omaha. You know, no Omaha jokes tonight because, Jonathan, you're fairly new, so I'm not going to mess with you. So uh, we're going to keep moving. <laughs> also, we have on the line uh, Mr. Gerard. Uh, you're from Dallas, that's correct, sir? Yeah, man, I live in the area. I'm actually from Texas County, but I've been in the Dallas area, man, for about about 15 years now. That's what's up, man. We appreciate it's you doing this. It's definitely a pleasure, man, being on the call with you guys. Oh, yeah, man, De- definitely, definitely. And also a good friend of mine from Facebook, hadn't heard from him in a while, Mr. Clement. How are you tonight, sir? Uh-oh. You here? Can you hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you. I'm sorry, but my phone was, was actually, uh, you got to rebuke the devil of the phone. Guys. I gotta the devil. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me. I um, guess. But yeah, I'm here. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? We good, man. Good to hear from you, man. Uh, them Texas boys on the line. And also, we have uh, Mr. Arthur. I have never uh, met you or, or seen you on Facebook, sir, but we definitely welcome you to the call tonight. How are you all the way from all the way from Mexico by way of Michigan? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, this is uh, kind of my first public uh, debate discussion forum thing, so I'm pleased to be here. Um, I just uh, became a friend of Clement just a couple of days ago, so uh, he invited me on this, and like I say, I'm glad to be here. Happy to participate. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad you put the debate discussion because we we still ain't figured out what we're gonna call it yet. Uh, but we're just excited just to have uh, all these great men of God in one place. Um, and if you're joining us, I want to invite you to uh, like us on Facebook, the Be Not Deceived page. That's uh, Facebook.com/slash BND Truth. We're also on Twitter. You also can find this broadcast on Podomatic as well as iTunes. So make sure you like, describe, uh, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. So without further ado, since we got so many people on here tonight, uh, I'm going to throw it to Barlow, man, and let you kind of introduce this topic, and then uh, we'll do our best to distribute it the best way we can. Awesome, man. Thank you, Dwayne. really appreciate you as all that you do. Um, but tonight, you know, what we want to do is go into some uh, discussion Concerning salvation and the work of God, um, this is a, a, a topic that is heavily debated all throughout the body of Christ. And, and uh, the reason why you hear some of the voices tonight that you hear uh, on this show is because these are people that I have interacted with, uh, with the exception of Arthur Hagelin, who I've only recently just met, but, uh, but Clement and Gerard, who, who are dear brothers of mine in Christ, we, we disagree on some things. And, uh, and Jonathan Walters, who is a man who I'll take the streets with, and I mean, who I just just got done fellowshipping with him at his house just the other night. Uh, I mean, he, he, he and I, we agree on some things. And so what we have here is some people online who agree on essentials and disagree on the workings of these essentials. And this is, at least that's how I understand it at this point. Uh, so what we kind of, what we're discussing is typically, Really is, uh, I would say, monogism versus synergism. Um, is salvation completely, strictly a work of God and God alone, or does God use the help of man? And that's uh, so many ways to put it. Now, to start this discussion off, 
I want to go to, I want to appeal to three verses, and these guys have been giving these verses ahead of time to kind of look at and, and think of. I want to, I want to start off with three verses. Uh, all three of them are coming from First John. First uh, John chapter two, verse twenty-nine. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. First John chapter four, verse seven says, "Beloved, let us love one another for." Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And First John 5 and 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So, just starting with those scriptures and the whole concept of being born of God, uh, what it means to be born of God, what I would like to get is my brothers, and we can start with Clement, and then we can take it to Gerard, and we can take it to Arthur, uh, what I would like to know is, when you guys hear the phrase, born of God, or born from above, or born again, or regenerated, or any of that, what do these things mean to you as a person who believes more so, who leans more towards synergism and salvation? All right. Um, I know you saw my name first. I guess I'll go, I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. In regards to um, being born of God, um, basically what it means is mind being reborn of his spirit, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, being born of a different nature um, other than his sinful nature, where he was previously born from. And um, we know that the scripture teaches this in John chapter 3. So, um, um, what actually happens first is the question, does man actually, uh, does man uh, cooperate with God in regards to being born again? Or does God um, goes ahead and reborns, uh, or regenerates man uh, without man's consent? Now, I take the belief of synergism whereas man cooperates with God. And I get that um, I get that from the scripture, if everybody would go to, if you have time, um, if we go to, um, uh, let's see here, if we go to John, let me go ahead and pull it up right quick, I should add it up. If we go to John, there we guys. Okay. Bear with me, my friends. I'm so sorry. Bear with me. I'm almost there. Almost there. Okay. If we go to um, John chapter... I think it is 6. Go to John chapter 6, verse 53. <clears throat> John 6 and 53. It says, and I'll go ahead and read it. It says here that, uh, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say unto you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Now, from the monogism, from in monogism, um, it 
to me, it seems as if it takes the a different side because here Christ is saying that if man does not take of the his, his blood, his bread, or basically he, uh, uh, listen to or uh, obey his gospel and follow the gospel, you know, the, the bread, which is the word, the blood, which is, uh, it, to me, is the Holy Spirit, um, he, he cannot live. Therefore, uh, before man can take of his blood and, and, uh, and his bread, man is in a dead state. Man is dead. So in order for man to to become alive or to be reborn again to enter the kingdom of God, he has to follow these instructions. So we see cooperation going on. Man has to follow the instructions uh, to part to in, in order to to be saved or to be born again. Um, however, in in monotheism, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it seems to put the notion that man has to. God has to regenerate man in order for man to drink of Christ's blood, in order to eat of Christ's bread. However, Christ said, if you don't drink or eat, you don't have no life. So which one is it? Okay, Clement, you know Clement, that's, that's a great point. I'll, 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 I'll comment time, man, and that's, so, that's a great way for you to start off. I think, man, at this time, and uh, Gerard, if you, uh, hey, Gerard, if you know what I'm saying, if you, if, if you want to give us your views real quick, uh, okay. come in, if I cut you off, man, we'll be able to come back to it. I just want to, just want to make sure we get people in. That's okay, guys. Thanks for letting me know. Thanks. No problem. No problem. All right, man. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, man. So, um, I want to take it from the avenue that we know that all scripture, um, really agrees with each other, and we use scripture to interpret scripture, so... Um, I'm going to address these three verses, Barlo, that you brought up, and also I want to um, bring in a few if, if, if time allows me. But First John 2, 2, 9, and actually all three of them, I know what what, what happens is generally the um, people that kind of hold to the doctrine of grace or Calvinism or whatnot, they tend to think that this shows an order of how things go. Well, I think that um, putting some on the scripture that really the, the scripture doesn't support. And I think more than anything, it, it actually describes the attributes of a believer. So if we go to First John 2, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So it's pretty much, we know basic milk for the gospel, how a person is declared righteous, right? And it's, it's by faith. So this verse is pretty much just saying we know that someone who has placed their faith in Christ, you know that um, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So it's really the faith that makes this person makes this person righteous, and that doesn't mean that the faith comes after the um, heart has been generated, and it definitely doesn't mean that um, as far as the monogism and the synergism that is only a work. Of God, this right here is clearly shows, and, and from my perspective, that when it comes to being righteous, we know that that person has placed their faith in Christ. So that is absolutely and definitely a responsibility of each and every believer to place their faith. Everyone that ha that is a believer, they have placed their faith in in Christ. So that that details the responsibility of a person. Now, just real quick, going over to First John four seven, dear friend, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
again, I know that the doctrine tries to place a um, a, um, sequence of events here, but the text doesn't detail that, and I think we're reading more into it than than we should. It's the same thing. It's just showing that uh, attribute of um, of of a believer. Those, if you're a believer, we know that it shows through the love. I think it's Galatians um, 3 that talks about how the world would know us through love, and... um, Matthew, you know, where Jesus talks about the uh, the um, the first greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment is to love the Lord to God with all your heart and all your soul. And the second one is like that. It's to love one another. Um, love is the, the fulfillment of all the law. Paul, I mean, yeah, Paul talks about this in Roman as well. So I don't, I think it's a stretch to try to say that, that these detail a sequence. And also it's a stretch to try to say that these verses prove that, that this is um, the work of um of God alone because we have to show our part of it and that's what makes our whole relationship with Christ such a genuine loving relationship is not him just causing us to do things we have to respond through him respond to him by our love and action with details the um the spirit that um influence our actions day in and day out and um what I was going too far in it I, I believe the same thing about first John five one. Everyone who believes that J- Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Again, that doesn't detail a sequence of events. It just shows an attribute of a person that um that um believes that Jesus is the Christ. And um how much time do I have? Uh you you can kinda wrap it up, boss man, for, so we can go to the next one. Okay. All right. Yes, sir, Mr. Arthur. Just a reminder guys, it's it's about three minutes. Uh, we're allowing uh, for for response just so we can move through it. Um, we don't have a time limit unless you guys do as far as how long we go. Um, so you know, don't don't feel like you know you, we're rushed or you didn't get a point out, man. Just it, so you might have to stick a pen in it, come back to it. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to gotcha. trying to do three minutes so we can get everybody uh, good 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 flow through or whatever. So, uh, Mr. Art, uh, your turn, sir. Yeah, I have to support what was just said. Uh, this, these three from First John, do not uh, speak to how someone is born again. They do not speak to whether it's the responsibility of man in uh, what is commonly called synergism, or whether it is something that God one-sidedly does to man. It's uh, it's absent these uh, three verses. Um, I would uh, I would go elsewhere if we were going to look for the uh, for the monergism versus synergism. Um, most of the time, both sides don't uh, don't come to these three places. They they might be second or third string support somewhere down uh, along the way. Um, I'd like to I'd like to visit what uh, the definition of uh, Sovereignty. Seems how we're going to get into that. And sovereign is, is that okay if I bring it in now? Uh, uh, if, if you can do if you can do it in your time frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will be within okay. my three minutes. Yeah, um, basically, uh, the definition of sovereignty is one that possesses or holds supreme power, uh, one that exercises authority, uh, an acknowledged leader, or uh, it's a various type of uh, gold coin from uh, England, and I don't think that uh, we're going to be talking about that last one <laughs> when we talk about God. But basically, we're talking about uh, when we say God is sovereign, 
um, that he's the ultimate authority, he's the highest power. Um, you cannot appeal to anything beyond God. Um, however, having all power doesn't mean that uh, God is responsible for everything that happens. If, if we get into that, then, um, you know, we, we bring it all the way back to uh, God caused sin because he is responsible for everything, sin is part of everything, uh, and then there's what's called hyper-Calvinism that people do uh, hold to that. Um, I've got about 30 seconds left. I, I think if we were to visit the uh, verses, the uh, passages, I don't really like verses so much, but if we were to visit the passages in the New Testament that speak about Abraham, we can go to James 2, where it talks that uh, his faith was imputed to him for righteousness. Um, the same thing is mentioned in Romans by Paul. And at no point is there anything anywhere saying that God did anything to Abraham prior to Abraham's believing that caused him to believe. And I'll just leave it off and hand off to the next person. Thanks. All right, sir. Thank you, Arvind. Uh, appreciate you for respecting the timeline, man. Uh, uh, Jonathan, I mean, I kind of know where you sit already, so I kind of... Uh, if you don't mind, if you have a response to what you have heard so far, or anything in particular that you really feel like needs addressed, it, uh, here's your time. Um, yeah, so I guess what I'd like to point out is I feel like there's a little bit of a misunderstanding that I've heard coming from uh, a couple of these gentlemen. Like one, uh, Clement mentioned that, uh, you know, does man cooperate with God or does God regenerate them without their consent? Or this, uh, there's this, seems to be this idea that when we talk about God regenerating the rebel sinner, then we're talking about something that there is no response. And that's definitely not what Reformed Doctrine is teaching. We're just teaching that we're incapable of giving a positive response without that regeneration first. So there's definitely a response. There's definitely, you know, things that we do in response to God's work in our lives I mean, that's where that whole born of a different nature thing that Clinton was saying bears fruit. I mean, if we see that, fruits and keeping with repentance, you know, come up all the time. So, I mean, kind of focusing in on these passages in First John, um, you know, just like what Jared was saying, he's absolutely correct, and I agree that these things are not necessarily a time order, but they're saying this is a fruit of the belief, like a believing person loves, a believing person does righteousness. No one is trying to argue that by, if I love enough, then I can get in with God, or if I do enough righteousness that I can get in with God. Um, but they are saying that if I make this good decision and I believe, then I can get in with God. But if you look at the pattern in those three verses, it's exactly the same even belief is the fruit of being born of the Spirit. So, you know, we're talking about fruits before, you know, putting the fruit before the root, and, and you don't want to do that. So, um, as far as, I mean, I guess I don't want to get, dive too deeply into the sovereignty issue, because that can take us down a long rabbit trail, and I've only got like 30 seconds left. Um, but I think just wanted to... Uh, emphasize that, I mean, I think we could definitely go to some other passages to discuss the idea of 
regeneration. Um, for example, um, in where it says in John 3, um, you know, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. Um, consider just the imagery of the New Testament that has to do with the subject. Slavery, death, birth, um, you know, resurrection, those kind of images do not speak loudly of something where, you know, Lazarus is cooperating with Jesus to raise him from the dead, and I know that's not what that passage is about, but that's what resurrection looks like, you know? Resurrection is a very much God-centered activity. So, you know, overall, there's lots of places that we could go for that, but this is just one area where it kind of highlights what is the fruit of regeneration. It's love, it's doing righteousness, and it is belief. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for, uh, for chiming in with that. Thank you, fellas, for bringing in uh, your thoughts as well. Um, I want to... Uh, I want to address some things as well that I just heard, uh, for example, uh, uh, Clement asked the question of what happens first, and, and, and he says that, uh, he said that John 6, 53 proves, uh, basically some of the words prove synergism. Uh, Gerard asked, uh, uh, he, he mentioned loving God with all our whole heart, 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 mind, and soul, and so forth, which I'd have to bring to the question, man, does, does anybody really do that? Uh, but uh, at the same time, um, he also brought about it's not him causing us to do things. And then Arthur uh, has mentioned verses that he said, he said that, but those particular verses, he may have been speaking strictly of those verses, but he said something about those verses not speaking to how uh, one is born again. And so having said that, like, all three of those uh, responses, I believe, are uh, can be can be uh, addressed with particular verses. Uh, like, for example, uh, when we talk about God causing us to do things, I have to, I want to go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verse 25 to 27. It's actually a verse that I go to quite a, go to quite a bit uh, because it's talking about, uh, it's, the Old, it's the Old Testament view uh, regarding regeneration uh, where it says in verse 25, chapter 36, verse 25 of Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, it's also uh, Titus uh, chapter 3, I believe. Yes, chapter, chapter three. Uh, it speaks to uh, again a conversion from a, from an evil nature, uh, where it says, "For we, chapter three, verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us." Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, will be poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, uh, so, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, dealing with you guys' view, and, and, uh, and I'm going to pass the mic again to Clement. I mean, we can keep the same order to keep, you know, keep the confusion down. Uh, dealing with those verses... Like, how do, how do you deal with those verses with your views? Saying that, you know, that basically it's synergistic when you hear these verses are clearly saying that God calls us to 
Okay, um, well, first of all, when you read Ezekiel 36-24 on down, and, and that, those verses that you read only says what God is going to do. It doesn't say when he's going to do it. It doesn't say if he's going to do it before we believe or after we believe. You see what I'm saying? So um, within that whole context with Ezekiel 36, I mean, all it says is what he's going to do. And then when you came down here to Titus 3, uh, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, receiving uh, verse less than pleasures, living in malice and envy. Um, let me drop down to verse 5. Not by words uh, of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is, uh, yes, this is what Christ has done. Like I said, this does not say when. Uh, so when we, in, the, in this discussion, we're talking about when does this happen? Does it happen before one believes or after one believes? And I'll, I'll rest my case right there. Okay. And now, um, yeah, I'll mirror some of the things he said. It, um, I, I'm agreeing with all the scriptures you, you read. And I think what we have to remember is from the beginning of, of scriptures, in the beginning in Genesis, how the Lord makes free for man to be obedient and, 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 and after the fall of man, how God is pleased when he, when, when Moses is delivering the law to the people in, in the, in the wilderness, he's pleading for man to humble themselves. And I think that is, it ain't no thing. I know that that is the, the overwhelmingly just testimony of all the scripture that is always requires for man to humble themselves before the Lord, to freely come to the Lord. And then God will do his work of, um, a rebirth or regeneration. And, and I think that um, we can go to, and, and we've talked about this verse a lot, um, in Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 1. Um, hello? Yeah, we hear that. Yeah, 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 we hear You good? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, the, um, where Romans 1, 18, where it talks about where we don't have an excuse, and it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress, who suppress the truth by the wickedness. And we know that that wrath, we know that wrath, what it's speaking about, it's talking about the, the terrible end to people that don't live, that don't have the righteousness of Christ that, that clothes them. So in that sense, what may be known about, about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So, that kind of goes against some of that, and this is why I ask you, clear. I mean, um, Rollo, is it okay if we kind of deviate? We know about the total depravity and how that all links into this current topic right here, or total inability, where where you guys believe that man is dead like Lazarus, where it takes the resurrection to from Jesus or from God to make us able to respond, and that that a whole issue with that is that the resurrection, the resurrection of uh, Lazarus, is never given in, as an example of how um, how how God regenerate, regenerates us. And actually, if we go to the story of the prodigal son, right, that's where we are given a, um, a key example of how um, we are um, regenerated and made to believe. Where the prodigal son comes back, and, um, I'm pulling this verse up right now so I can speak for it. Verbatim, 
But it says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So that details how we are regenerated through the Lord. It's the prodigal son who went off, swindled his, his um, prophets, and just did all manners of things. In the Bible, the verse says before that in, in verse 17, when he came to his senses. So this is the prodigal son out doing all kinds of things. All manners that are against what is godliness. He said he has sinned against heaven. But when he came to his senses, he came back. And then the father, his father, welcomed him home with open arms and even celebrated his return. And again, this says, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. That's more of a reflection of how our relationship is with God. It's not that we are dead in a tomb like Lazarus. And again, scripture gives no relation to that example as how um, God regenerates us is more on the line of the, the prodigal son. And again, real quick, back to um, Romans one eighteen, what scripture says that we are we are absolutely without excuse and we're without excuse because the scriptures tell us plainly that he has made himself plain to us by those things that have been made. And um, I'm sure I'm over my three minutes. Yeah, you are. It's all good though. Uh, thank you, Gerard, for sharing that. Uh, Arthur, what do you have to say on that? Arthur, you still there? We didn't lose Arthur, did we? Uh, I no, no, I had the mute on. Uh. Oh, okay. <laughs> now? Can you hear me now? Yes, yes sir. sir. We got you. Okay, sorry about that. Um, don't take that out of my three minutes, though. Okay, one thing that was said was um, playing faith against works. And Paul was very, very, very careful uh, in Romans where he said, if Abraham was justified by works, well, then there would be no need for anything else. But he wasn't justified by works. He was justified by faith. Faith is not a work. When it is talking about works in the Bible, it is always, forever, talking about, I did enough good that God has to repay me with heaven. I earned it myself. Faith does not fall under the heading of a work. Paul is specific to separate the two things. Um, now, we're, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, where God was um, talking to the people of Israel. I give you a choice. Uh, uh, decide who you're going to serve. And it says that uh, in verse 20, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of the days that thou mayest dwell in the land. Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm probably not on the right verse uh, right now to see it. But God says, I give this to you, and you're able to, you're able to keep my commands. It isn't too hard for you to do. Now, um, and I'm bouncing back and forth on my laptop here of different things. It was brought up about a new heart, that God's going to give us a new heart, and that's in Ezekiel. What also is in Ezekiel, in chapter 18, is that it says, Cast away from you all transgression whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God puts the responsibility of a new heart and a new spirit 
in the people, in their attitudes, that they've decided that they're going to obey. And this comes right on the heels of God saying, if a person that is doing good repents of doing good, I will not remember his good, I will only remember his evil. And then the people say to him, well, you're not equal. Well, that's Old Testament speak for what we would say today, God's not being fair. In the Old Testament, if they say fair, they were meaning beautiful. She's a fair woman. She's a beautiful woman. When he says you're not equal, he says, what do you mean I'm not equal? You're the ones that are not equal. You guys aren't the ones that are fair. You think it's a scale that you're balancing. If you did enough good, it doesn't matter if you did a little bit of bad. It doesn't work that way. If you quit doing evil and start doing good, God forgets your evil. If you quit doing good, start doing evil, God forgets your good. You forget, um, you're good. Wherever you're at at the moment, wherever your heart is at the moment, that is what God's looking at. All right, sir. Okay, Arthur, with that, that's good. That, I uh, appreciate that. Um, go ahead, uh, Jonathan. You uh, you got a response to Art? That's, that's, that was a good one. Yeah. So I guess just one thing that I wanted to address right away, as far as um, a pattern that that we're going to continue to see throughout the night here, which is where a verse is going to be held up where, for example, a call goes out to someone that says, hey, you need to believe, um, you know, where the Bible says, serve the Lord, or something along those lines, and, and that's going to be held up and says, because the Bible says this, or because the Bible talks about our response, then therefore, as a logical result of that, God works in this way. What we're not going to ever see is we're not ever going to see a didactic teaching from Scripture that says God works in this way. He calls everybody the same. He gives everybody some kind of grace, and then he calls everyone. He takes out the heart of stone and gives them a heart of sort of wet cement, and then they sort of decide whether or not they want it to be fleshy or stony, and then it goes from there. Like, when it comes to a verse that says, here's what God is doing, then it's always going to be saying that God is sovereign, God is regenerating, God is raising us from the dead, and all of that. Now, there's lots of things in the Bible, like the things that Art just demonstrated, where there's man's response that's involved, and that's great, and I affirm those things. We absolutely do believe. We absolutely do serve God. Um and, and I just wanted to kind of touch base on the whole idea that faith is not a work. And I say, amen, yes, that's absolutely true, and I affirm that. But I don't think that Art does, because he's going to turn around and say, but faith is something that we do. And I'm going to say, no, 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 faith is a gift from God. That's why it's not a work. It can't be a work, because it's a gift. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point. There's a whole reason why you can contrast faith and works in the first place is because faith doesn't come from us. Uh, if, if it did, it would be a work, and then you couldn't make that contrast very well. So I absolutely agree and affirm that faith is not a work, and we should never even consider it as a work. Um, it's not that I'm smarter, that I'm more spiritual, or better than anyone else in any way. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely not a work. As far as the, um, you know, the heart of stone going to heart of flesh thing, I mean, again, just because something is listed that God 
is, you know, working in that way and it doesn't say when. The problem is it's a, it's a logical progression. It doesn't matter about when. Stony hearts don't say, oh, I love God and I repent of all my sins. You know, that, that's kind of not the point um, about when. It's a matter of capability. Stony hearts love their sin. That's the testimony of what Scripture is saying, and that's what we're saying about that passage. Right. And, you know what? And if I could piggyback off of that, because Gerard linked to something uh, and, uh, about Lazarus and the prodigal son, and, and, and I think I think somewhere along the line also in there, like the things like that, like every miracle that Jesus did uh, was actually not so much about the miracle within itself, but the point to a salvation truth. And so whereas, no, I can't say that I've seen a scripture that directly ties Lazarus to, to the gospel story, I can't see scriptures that point to to the same scenario, which is the scripture that we actually, one of the scriptures we actually cross all the time, we always do talk about all the time, and that's in Ephesians 2. He says you were dead in trespasses and sins, uh, which you once, uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we're saying at one point, man, we were children of wrath by nature, by nature because of who we were. We would never choose God with the sinful heart that is dead in sin. It, would, it, would, it wouldn't work that way because it is our nature to reject him. As, as a matter of fact, that very same thing Jesus makes mention of in John chapter 3 when he says, man, that, you know, they talk about the, how, how men love the darkness. Yeah, that's why they rejected. That's why they didn't believe because they love the darkness. And, and, and it took uh, a radical work of God in the heart of that unbeliever to even come to a place to where they would accept that. Yeah, Gerard also mentioned, you mentioned the prodigal son. The prodigal son is not a story of conversion. The prodigal son is a story of perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints, because this was a son. Remember, when you're in unbelief, you're not necessarily adapted into the, the inheritance. You're not, you're not, you, you can't call God a father. You can call him your creator. You can call him God. You can't really call God a father because you're acting like a son of disobedience, as Ephesians 2 would put it. Whereas, this man was a son, and this son went astray. He backslid. He went off into the world, and he was drawn back by the father. He was drawn back by the father's love. So, I mean, that the, the prodigal son, as a matter of fact, if you look at the, the parables with it, those those parables have nothing to do with uh, had nothing to do with conversion. Has everything to do with with God keeping his sheep. How God never loses a member of his flock, and, and and so that's why I would say that I have to respectfully disagree with you on that. And uh, at this point, Dwayne, I'm going to turn it to you. Uh, I know you want to do a commercial break and, and do some, some, some advertising of some type, and, and then uh, we can get back into this. Yeah, man. I- it's, it's, it's exciting already. I mean, good grief. We're already at 945, and uh, this is really good, guys. Definitely on both sides. Uh, appreciate the guests once again. Uh, if you're tuning in, this is The Bar, where we are biblical and reformed uh and make sure you check us out on facebook that's uh be not deceived you can search as be not deceived or you can look us up on twitter uh bnd truth uh 2012 uh you can email us at be not deceived 2012 at gmail.com uh you also can find this broadcast it's going to be live on 
uh, iTunes on on the iPod. You can subscribe and get every uh, get get everyone that comes out. We do we record every other week, um, and just, we're just so excited. Uh, we want to shout out all the guys on the on this podcast, man. And I, I appreciate you guys coming in and making this uh, what it is. Uh, it is very very thought provoking, and uh, we just pray at the end of the day, man, that. Uh, that that some you know God is glorified of course for first and foremost and that uh, 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 someone gets the gospel um, we're gonna I guess keep going in the format that we're going uh, we we at the top of the sheet hadn't even moved down I'm not sure if we're gonna make it to all of them because you know much as I love talking about this stuff I definitely don't want to be up here all night but uh, definitely enjoying it um, also at the end I want to tell my guests to. Uh, to 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 uh prepare you know some sort of clothes you know not necessarily uh debate wise but you know just just a message for people listening in uh and, and then something fun we like to do is uh, uh recommendations any books apps uh movies whatever you want to recommend so i just want to put that out there to the guests at the end we're gonna do a couple of recos and uh and and a last message so make sure you Jot that down so you're ready to get on back in it. And uh, Barlow, you ready to take it to the next level? You still here? Hello, can you hear me? No, nah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, no. <laughs> Everybody mute button acting up tonight. I don't know what the problem is. But, yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. All right. So, uh, fellas, you know, I sent you guys an outline. And we hadn't really been, like, really following this outline completely. And, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm about to go into some dangerous territory, but if you have your outlines in front of you, I want to ask those last, like, three or four questions. And, uh, Dwayne, man, if you don't mind, man, what we're going to do is we want to kind of extend the talk time a little bit on this one. Okay. Um, and let's, let's, let's extend it to about a good five minutes, right. I think. You Tempo. know, five, five minutes talk time, because I know that three minutes is a, is a rush. But, and, by the way, man, you guys have been great. Uh, and just, you guys have been uh, great at uh, you know saying that trying to keep it to that three minutes. I know it's tough because this, it, these these topics are loaded and so forth, man. And, and I, I I really do want you to feel like you have some type of breathing room, you know. Said at some point, I know uh, I mean there's so much that could be said and, and whatnot. So I, do, I really do appreciate you guys respecting that. And maybe who knows? Then we can do a second part to where we can we can go deeper. Who knows? You know, we'll see we'll see what happens in the future, uh, Lord willing, and so forth. But I want to ask these questions. And uh, like I said, you guys should have your outlines in front of you, and because uh, we want to deal with the sufficiency of Christ, right, quick. And, and you know, the main questions I want I want to answer were: uh, Why did Christ have to come? Was Christ hoping to save those who die in sin? Did Christ fail at reaching his intended goal, or does God or Christ need our help to save us? And I'm gonna give it to you, Clement, first. Uh, you know, at this point now, we're gonna go in for five minutes. I'm going to give it to you first, and then Gerard, and then Arthur, uh, and then like after that, you know, Jonathan, and, and we can, I think we can go from there. Okay, guys. Well, I really wanted to answer. Um, I had something to say to Jonathan, but in respect of which I've outlined, I'll just continue on. So the sufficiency of Christ, why did Christ have to come? Um, the reason why Christ came is to deal with sin and to deal with death, which of course he has destroyed on the cross. Now the thing is, when Adam sinned, every seed in Adam received uh, the curse of sin. So um, 
as we all know, every person that is born of a woman, you know, we are all born in sin. So Christ came to, so what I believe is that Christ came to make available salvation for all of, for all who would believe on his gospel. That's um, back to John chapter 5. Um, and I would read from John chapter 5. It says, John chapter 6, actually, I'm sorry, which says here that uh, this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Um, and then I drop down to um, uh, verse 58, where it says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So as you can see, Christ came to give himself or make himself available to all who will believe, so that when they partake, they will be saved. Okay, um, let me see here. Did Christ fail at reaching his intended goal? No, he had to, he did not fail. He performed the he performed exactly the plan of God that was predestined before the world was even um, uh, created, which is to come in and 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 die for those who um, and die for those who will actually partake of the offering that he has given unto the world, which is his blood and his flesh. So, so again. Um, I'll have to go to say that Christ came and dealt with death and sin, and He made His His uh, He made His blood and His bread available for all who will accept. Just as the Scripture said here um, in verse fifty, John six and fifty: If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And I stop right there. Okay. All right, man. Um, you want me to go right here? Yeah, yes, sir. You got it. Go ahead. All right. So, um, a few questions right here, and um, why did Christ have to come? Uh, we can go to John three sixteen and three seventeen. You know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And more specifically, verse seventeen: For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So we know that. Originally, and I and I love going back to the beginning in Genesis when when God put man and woman in the uh, in the garden and it was they, they they were without sin at the time right so after sin entered the world you know from the action of man um, we know that uh, God you know the, the Isaiah verse that said he he called the end from the beginning we know that he has already he had predestined people that could be um, be one with him and we know that as sinners that we can't be one with God so now here comes the plan of Christ where he comes in and if we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ that we have been reconciled to the Father through the righteousness of the Son and, and um, in short that's that's what um, why Christ came is to um, re reconcile the people back to um, to God by way of faith um, was Christ hoping to save those that die in sin? Absolutely, he was. And I'll just speak briefly on that while I'm looking up a, a, a verse that I referenced on that. But um, 
where it talks about uh, all the different times in scripture where he mentions all. Here we go. Um, so um, we know a lot of times that in the doctrine that, and Barlow, we've had this uh, discussion before where you have to almost redefine the language to not come to this conclusion. But when he talks about all people or the world or everyone, it's pretty explicit in it. In it, in it. And we can just detail it and define it by scripture from a few verses. And I'll go with you real quick um, where it talks about all, bear with me, bear with me. Okay, here's one right here, Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burden, and I will give you rest. We know that he's just not just talking to specific people. This is a genuine invitation to all people that will, that will humble themselves and come to to uh, to the Lord for for salvation. Um, Where's another one? Here's one. First um, John two two is one of my favorites. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for sins of the whole world. Here we see John distinguishes between two groups of people, the Israelites, and John is going on to tell him not only is Christ paying for our sins as the elect, but also for the whole world. And, um, let me see, you got another one here. 1 Timothy 2, 1, where um, he says, I urge then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving to be made for all people. And we, you know, if he's praying for them, he's praying for their, um, their, for them to be in a right relationship with, with God. It's not for some earthly favor or anything right there. He's really genuinely praying for the salvation of all people. Um, and it goes on to say, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, which is absolutely uh, attributes of what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. First Timothy 2, 3, this is good and, and pleases God our Savior. For who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So I just use those two, three verses as some proof text and just, again, just reiterate that it's really the testimony of all the scripture from Genesis all the way through through um, Revelation where God is pleading for man to humble themselves. And then once you humble yourself, that's where the spirit begins to do a work in you and um, gives you a new heart. And um, then, you know, if you've heard the gospel, you're clothed in the, in the righteousness of Christ, and then you become where you're in a um, right relationship with, with God. And I'll end it there. Cool, man. If I have some more time, I can hit these last two questions. Uh, well, uh, now nah, we're going to go ahead, man, and, uh, and, and hit it to art, man, but we, we appreciate you respecting the time. Well, I think, uh, it's been amply answered. Why did Christ come? Uh, he came to save the lost and the lost is everyone. Uh, at first we can look into the gospels where Jesus himself declares that he was not sent to anyone except the lost sheep of Israel. And, um, Barring uh, very few contacts outside of uh, the Jews, the, the nation of Israel, Christ uh, really kept to that mission. He didn't uh, deal with people. The, the Samaritan woman he called a dog. Um, 
And then she replied, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs, and he marveled at her faith. Um, so Jesus came uh, to the Jews. And we know this in the parable when the uh, owner of the field sends uh, messengers, and they kill the messengers, and he finally sends his son. He's talking about the prophets, and he's talking about Jesus Christ himself. Um, so it wasn't really until Jesus' death and resurrection that it was opened up to people that were outside of uh, Israel. Um, and we see that in Acts where Peter has the vision of the sheet. And he was amazed. He said that God not only is granting repentance to, to us, he's granting repentance to the nations as well. Um, was Christ hoping to save them that die in sin? Um, God doesn't have hope. Uh, we are told if you see your, your aid coming, you don't hope for it. You hope for what you don't see. God sees all things. God doesn't have hope. He doesn't have to hope. Did Christ fail in reaching his intended goal? Um, of course not. Uh, this uh, brings with it uh, a preloaded understanding that uh, if anyone goes to hell and yet he died for everyone, he failed somehow. Uh, and then it comes also with the other side preloaded into it. If he came only for those that get saved, then only those that get saved get saved, and he didn't fail at anything. Um, that's just not true. If, uh, if we can think about different artistry that we see, heaven and earth and the cross of Christ being used as a bridge, and the people cross the bridge, um, Jesus says, I am the way, I am a path, then we can understand, he says, if you find it, Okay, he's not saying few are led to it, few are drawn to it, few that find it. Now, if you build a bridge, you can build a bridge for everybody. You do not exclude one single person from use of that bridge. Does that mean that if 100% of humanity doesn't cross that bridge that you failed? No. Your purpose was to build the bridge. Your purpose was anybody can use this bridge. You're not a failure if everyone doesn't use it, you're not successful only if all people use it. You're successful if you've successfully made the bridge that can do what the bridge is intended to do, bring people from one side to the other. And does God or Christ need our help to save us? Once again, this is preloaded with some Calvinistic uh, understanding. Um, our having faith in God isn't helping God in any way, any shape, or any form. It is not helping Christ onto the cross. It is not helping Christ die. It is not helping Christ resurrect. It is not helping the gospel. No. In fact, guess what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear unless a minister, a preacher, is sent to give the word of God? There is synergy, and the word synergy is even used where it says God working with them with signs and wonders following. That's when they were given the Great Commission, and they went out and did things. What is missing is the term monergism and monergy. That doesn't exist anywhere in the scriptures. There's only five Greek words that are mono, anything, and none of them have to do with God uh, unilaterally acting upon man. 
And I want to go back a little bit because I haven't passed five minutes yet, I don't think. I want to go back and talk about this dead. Well, the Bible also says that we are ill and need a physician. It says we're slaves and we need freedom. Okay? And dead is just one more symbolic term. It isn't the only literal one. Because if we're actually dead and Lazarus is used, well, guess what? Lazarus wasn't sinning either. Lazarus wasn't doing anything. And Jesus making Lazarus alive again is not by Christ, by the apostles, pointed to as a parallel of being born again and being regenerated. And I think I'm probably close to five minutes. I'll leave it. Thanks. All right. Thank you guys for sharing that. Uh, Jonathan, you're up. Jonathan, you there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Jonathan. Uh, no, so, yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of verses that were put out there, lots of, of scriptures. So, and, you know, I would absolutely love to take the time to exegete each one in context. Uh, especially, you know, that uh, God desires all men to be saved and the passages about uh, that he is the Savior, you know, not ours only, but also the whole world. I mean, I think that you would look at that in a Jewish versus, like, the whole world concept. What's going on here is every time you run into a passage like that, is being unilaterally assumed that that means every single individual ever, without any exclusion. Um, I think that Jesus is the Savior of the world without exception, but that doesn't mean of every single individual. Um, you know, just as an example of that, you know, we've got a specific um, statement of what Jesus did in Revelation 5.9. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you did what? not made available for everyone who would believe, but you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So that's what it means that he saved the whole world, that he's the savior of the world. He has ransomed a people, the people for God, from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So, and here's my real concern when I hear statements like what, uh, what Clement said, that, you know, Jesus died to make salvation available for all that would believe. What is being said here, and I know that you would balk at this characterization a little bit, but I don't know how you can escape it. Jesus didn't save anyone. Jesus made salvation available. And then after that, then we save ourselves, is what I'm hearing. And, and I just really have a hard time accepting that kind of characterization as to what Jesus came to do. Because, you know, what Mary was told is that Jesus would be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. Not that he would wash away original sin from the whole world and make it sort of open-door policy or to build a bridge that anybody can walk over. I mean, if there's a bridge or a door or something that anyone can walk through, then we have to go back to deciding, okay, well, who would actually go that way? Um, and we could, you know, we kind of already had that discussion. But what Jesus actually came to accomplish is to redeem for himself a particular people. And he is a perfect savior of those people. 
And again, what we've heard tonight uh, in, through all of these passages is, look, here's the call of the gospel that's going out to these people or, you know, a, a Abraham or whoever else, and, and examples have been brought up where, it's, again, we're looking at the human response and we're making assumptions about how God operates in salvation based on what we're told about the human response. But again, what we have not heard at all tonight has been a statement that says, Jesus died to make salvation available for everybody. And then we make the final decision. It's that Jesus came to save a particular people. Um, you know, whether it be from this nation or from that nation, from every nation, you know, that he wanted to gather them all together from all these different nations. Um, but again, you know, we're not looking at the divine side in this discussion, it seems, at least on one side, when we're looking at a synergistic type of system, we're starting with man and we're backing up to God, and I just have a real concern about the order in which that's taking place. Come on in, Barlow. All right, all right. I mean, I'm in. My phone blacked out on me. All right, so um, first of all, I want to thank everybody, man, for your comments and thoughts, man. And I was actually just uh, just uh, talking to the brothers in the in the inbox, uh, you know, Clement, Gerard, and Art, and uh, and uh, I was talking with Jonathan also on another on another inbox. And basically, man, well, I think what we're all in agreement with is just that. Is that we need to kind of pick this conversation up, and, and I think what needs to happen, and, and, and Jonathan, uh, uh, and Jonathan, like he he uh, he kind of he kind of hit the nail on the head. and says, "No, what we need to do is pick a passage, and we need to deal with that passage because what we're doing right now, I'm not saying that any of us are actually cherry picking, but that's almost like what it's like. It's like we're all over the place. And so what we want to do is, is we want to pick a passage, and and what we're going to do is we're going to take take the time to sit here and look at that passage. And in looking at this passage, we're going to have to address questions, I mean, you know, address the context, which is, which is what we really haven't been able to clearly do uh, in this conversation. We have not been able to ask, uh, we, have, we haven't been able to ask, ask or answer the questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how. And maybe, and just maybe we have to split it up and give, you know, say, give one of the, our guests a time to, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, for example, like maybe on one show just have Clement, maybe on one show just have Art. So that way, people can actually have a chance to fully express their thoughts concerning the matter. And so that way, you know, and we're not, we're not really confined to three minutes, but we can actually have a full, solid discussion. And uh, we're going to talk with, uh, I just, just want to talk with the brothers about that. And uh, having said that, man, if you guys don't mind, what I'm going to do is, is man, we're going to go from here. I feel like everybody laid out, you know, laid out their point. Uh, I know, Clement, you know, I apologize. I know you had a question and a response that you wanted to, uh, to give to Jonathan. But, and man, if I, if I can get you to, to uh, uh, <laughs> well, Jonathan is saying he really wanted to know what you wanted to ask him. <laughs> Clement. I tell you what, that Clement, what, what is it that you wanted to say back to, uh, to, to Jonathan? What do you want to respond with? Oh, uh, golly, because he said something just now that I even wanted to address. But um, the the very first one is that when he, in regards to monogism and synergism, when we were talking about uh, the Ezekiel packet, um, passage, um, he was saying that it was not a mark of win. And I wanted to respond back by saying that if that is the case, 
when reformers takes when reformers um exegete John chapter three, normally they would like they like to use that passage to say that this is the passage where um God uh regenerates man before he has to um before he could make the choice to believe. But uh by saying that, you are actually giving a win. You are actually describing a win um, a, a, you know, a man um, actually believes or is regenerated. So it is about the wing because that's what this whole uh, discussion is about. The monog- in regards to monogism and synergism. You see what I'm saying? In regards to um, for monogism is when God goes ahead and and uh, regenerate a man, and the synergism that man actually cooperates with God uh, uh, in that aspect. But um, that was pretty much it. Um, of course, I would want to elaborate, but I see we have some different things going on. But, um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, just on that, just to, just to give you a quick answer to as to what I meant when I said that, um, I'm trying to make a distinction between a logical priority versus a temporal priority. So, you know, as far as like, I don't think that I can say scripturally okay, the Spirit regenerates me, and then approximately five minutes later, I'm going to have faith. I mean, it's not a matter of, of the timing. It's a matter of what comes first logically. Uh, like, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Well, you know, atheists can debate that all day, but a believer says, well, God created chickens, and that's the answer to that. Um, so, I mean, the roots is logically prior to the fruit. I mean, the, the regeneration is logically prior to the faith. There, so I hope that's clear. I mean, yeah, I think if you were to, to put a stopwatch on it and be able to see the Spirit working somehow, there would be some kind of time order to it, but I don't think that's what Scripture is saying. I think Scripture is putting a logical priority to the work of God and heart before our action or our response. And that's what I think did in First John and, and the other passages that we've been discussing. The only thing on, on what you said is that that's the reason why I brought up uh, John chapter 6, um, uh, John chapter 6, because um, it clearly states that if no one participates in drinking his blood or eating his bread, they are dead. They, are, you right. know, they, they, they have no yeah. life. But then when you, when you go to John 3, um, according to your explanation, um, they already received life through regeneration, so it kind of contradicts with John John six fifty three. So that's the reason why. You know, hey, well, it's not well, 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 Clement, real quick, how do dead people eat anything? Ah, that's the thing. See, that's that's the reason why Arthur was trying to say that uh, when when y'all brought up the when y'all say that in regards to dead, you know, y'all are actually to me over exaggerating the symbolism. Because there's scriptures where Christ also said that we need a physician. A dead right. person don't need a physician. Miracle night, man. Hey, can I chime in on that? Yeah. So I think that if we go back to the um again to the parable, so uh, um Bala, I'm sorry, I know you said that um that the, the parable of the um particle Son, it's really not a good one to use, but then at the same time, I heard, I mean, you gave more credence to the um, Lazarus. Well, the problem with that is that there is no nothing in the story of Lazarus that ties that to what it means um, to be regenerated, you know, to be regenerated first. 
But however, when you look at the parable, son, the language in there it ties that 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 um parable directly to being regenerated, or um it, it shows actually that um there is a responsibility, I should say, to um to each person, and it has nothing to do with um. I shouldn't say nothing to do with it because that's not not true. We understand that everything is is due to God, and and faith is a gift that's given to each one of us according to uh, Romans twelve three. But again, the parable son is a story that that's directly tied to how each person has a responsibility to um to to the Lord to respond. And when you when you when you reference Ephesians two, the language about being dead. In our transgressions, I mean that's almost an identical language to the to the um, story in, in the prodigal son because it says, "For the son of mine was dead and is alive again." And here we are, we got functioning people, not dead like you're trying to make us be Lazarus again. That's part of where we understand where there are so much, there are so many parts of that doctrine that are tied in with each other that you have to have one to feed off of the other one. And that's, that's really just ties to the total inability, the total depravity um, doctrine that's pushed from, you know, from that belief system that doesn't, doesn't align with the rest of Scripture. And to Jonathan, real quick, man, um, I heard you saying that we're, you know, pretty much going and reading too much into the Scriptures. Man, if we read the Scripture at its word for what it says, there is no way that we can look at world and think that he's just talking about certain people because anytime that especially in the gospel of john that he talks about world he's talking about the entire world or either the world in its sinful humanity it's never just specifically talking about an elect group of people in fact that word elect is never ever mentioned in a in the terms of word that's that's only those are only the people that god is saving that is something that you only can get if you know the um, the teachings of that doctrine and follow it, you can't get it from reading the scriptures alone. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go through and exegete some passages with you, but we got to wrap things up here pretty quick, I think. But that's why I want to get into debating specific passages, because it would be awesome to work through some of that stuff with you sometime. Yeah, I, agree. I, was, I was just about to say, you know what, um, we're going to try to set up some times, man, and, and, uh, and do it with, like, uh, and just, we're going to kind of do it differently next time, and this will allow everybody more time to talk I feel like, man, if anything, man, we could probably get, like, a good series of different shows going on, maybe surrounding these topics. But if anything, uh, we're going to figure, I'm going to get with Dwayne, and we're going to figure out how uh, we want to structure this next show. I think this is actually very exciting. I think it's good. Uh, you know, again, you know, we as brothers, we disagree, man. And I, I don't know how you guys feel about me, but all I do, all I know is that this is that I feel like everybody who's on the, on the line tonight is a brother in Christ. You know, I love you guys for life. I thank you guys for taking your time to, uh, to eat tonight away from your families or whatever and, and, and to spend this little bit of time with us on the phone. Uh, before before we go, I'm going to give you guys the last word, but just real quick, what I want to do is, is to anybody who's listening, uh, you know, what we're doing right here, we're going over some meat of scripture. We're trying to dig in deep. We're trying to dive into the word, uh, just trying to gain a better understanding uh, of what the word says, but... Uh, if there's anybody who's listened who has yet to believe in faith, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is sufficient for that salvation, I just want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to the eternal fellowship with the Father, that, and, and, and that, the, that you, must, you must believe it. It's something that you must believe. And it is our prayer that your hearts are regenerated 
to understand and believe the things of the Bible. It is our prayer that you believe in faith, that you turn from your sin and turn to a holy God. Um, know that, know this, regardless of whatever it is, how you believe, how it works, what comes first, regeneration or the faith. Nevertheless, this is, you must believe. You must believe that Jesus Christ came down, put on flesh, went to the cross, hung, died, was buried, and resurrected, and that his atonement is sufficient for your salvation. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. I want to do what I want to do is just spell us in the same order that we kind of been going on tonight. If you guys have any last words, by all means, uh, you know, go ahead and you can say, say what you want to say to the people right quick, and then we're going to go ahead and call it a show. Okay, um, well, uh, we, first of all, we're going to have I'll, about seven minutes. Say that again. Hello? I think that's a fair request. He asked for seven minutes each. I think that would be uh, plenty to get, let us all get our last few words in. I think that's seven fair. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Oh, come on, man. We're giving you our time. Come on, man. Give us that. I mean, it's worth it. There's so much that we can get to say. What's a couple more minutes, you know? Um, I mean, if people have to get off, we have to get off. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, like I said, man, I was trying to push for an hour and a half. So what we're going to do is, is man, we, you know, again, we're trying to keep it at the three minutes real quick, man. But like I said, we're going to have you guys back on, man. Say some of that. Gerard, you ain't never without anything to say, but you got this. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you back on for another show, and, and, and you know what I'm saying, and we can go from there. Uh, so, so, man, like, if you just, you know, just give it a few minutes to wrap up or whatever it is you want to say to the folks, uh, you know, let them know how to get in contact with you, whatever the case may be. And so, and so that way, man, we can, we, can, we, can, we can call it a night and we can come back on and we can, and we can dig deeper. All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you
and let the one who hears say come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of water of life. And that is really, again, reflective of all the gospel, man. We know that the Spirit is God, right? We know that the, the bride is the church, and we have a responsibility to all people to extend a genuine invitation to anyone that we talk to. It's not some um, effectual versus some general call stuff that's found nowhere in Scripture. When we look at Scripture in its purity, we have to offer a genuine offer of salvation through our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all people. There's no hidden agenda. There's no secret counsel. There's no secret elect that God only um, wishes to save and hates everyone else because we know that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. And I just ch challenge all of you, man, just to take the scripture for it. It's pure word. Do not go beyond what's written. Do not add to and do not take away and know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And thank you all. All right. Thank you, Gerard, man, for that wrap-up. All right. Arthur, it's on you, brother. Okay, so it's three minutes, eh? Yes, sir. Hello? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, all right, let me get my clock on here. Um, well, I'd like to go back and touch real quick on Romans 4, um, because it was brought up that, well, if it is believing, it's still a work. Uh, if you just read the first bit of uh, Romans 4, it says specifically that uh, if it's by works, then man has uh, what with the glory, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him that works is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But him that doesn't work, but believes on him that justifieth, his faith is counted for righteousness. In no way, shape, or form can somebody say, belief is a work without an absolute positive diametric opposition to what is stated right here by Paul. Um, I'm not Calvinist. I, I, I used to be Calvinist. I was born, I was Lutheran. Um, I left the Lutheran church over uh, infant baptism and uh, their almost transubstantiation doctrines. I, I started going to Calvinist churches, um, but uh, I just noticed the verse theology of it the proof texting, and once I started reading the Bible, uh, taking away chapter and verse separations, I noticed that uh, Calvinism wasn't there. I had to be taught at first. And I'd like to say, um, according to the Bible, when elect is used as a noun, it is 100% only speaking about the blood Jews. It is never, ever applied to the Gentiles. Um, and as far as uh, the way limited atonement is taught in Calvinism, Christ becomes nothing more than an adornment because Christ in his death and resurrection um, he has no power to change a reprobate into a Calvinistically defined person as an elect Christ cannot save a reprobate and Christ is not needed to save the elect because their salvation was determined before they had done right or wrong before they were created they were already plugged in to the track that has no exits that ends up in heaven. So Christ ends up becoming useless in Calvinistic uh, theology 
and uh, it's just something I can't abide. Uh, it's under three minutes, but I'll leave it there. Okay, Jonathan, you ready to go? Yeah, um, so, I mean, first off, I, I just can't let that pass. That Christ would be useless in Reformed faith. Um, the whole statement of the Reformed faith is that for all who believe, we would find Christ to be the perfect Savior. Without our Savior, there is no salvation. Without the atonement, there are no elect. So I honestly really have a hard time believing that uh, someone who was once a Calvinist would make a statement like that. Um, I find that very difficult to, to swallow. But, um, you know, just kind of wanted to reemphasize again what we've been hearing as far as the objections, that there needs to be a genuine offer of salvation, as if because we don't know who the elect are, which is kind of important, that that I have to go around and, like, you know, use my super x-ray glasses before I share the gospel with anyone to see, are you elect or not? I'm not sure if I can actually tell you that Christ is a perfect Savior or not, because I'm not sure who you are. That That's just absurd. Here's the message of the gospel according to the Bible and according to what the Reformed Doctrine would say, that we are all sinners worthy of nothing from God but condemnation and death and damnation. Christ took us in that wretched condition, changed our natures, changed our hearts, regenerated us, you can use the image of resurrection, of birth, of slavery, which I'm not sure how that makes it more optional, because slaves are enslaved. Um, I mean, all of these things, or, or even sheep. Sheep don't choose their shepherds. This is the, that's the message. You are regenerated, brought to, from death to life by Christ. Christ is not useless. He is everything, literally everything in Calvinism. And so, you know, that's, that's where we pretty much end that. And again, you can go back and back and look at invitations and look at offers and look at what is our response in Scripture, and then either choose to make implications of that. Oh, since I have to respond, that means that all these different things about how God is building this bridge and then sitting there waiting for me to respond— or we can go and look at those other passages that talk about what God is doing. And that's kind of what we've been trying to show tonight. Um, we were a bit all over the board, but hopefully we've been able to make clear the different positions. And I really look forward to being able to dig deep into a few of these scriptures, and uh, especially John 6. That will be a really great experience. Right. You, you know what? Next time around, we are going to... Uh I think we're going to go ahead and probably open up in the jam six. And, and I think I said, I think we're going to probably like set it up to where uh, if we have less people, more people get to talk, and then we want to give a chance for everybody to come on and, and, and share. Uh, again, man, this has been a great experience. Dwayne, you want to say anything? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, thank everyone for for coming on. Uh, you definitely uh, made it a very interesting night. Um, a lot of, lot of things are thrown out there, a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge. Um, so excited, man, about, uh, upcoming, uh, cause this seemed like the beginning of a nice little, uh, I guess, uh, series, um, 
in which, you know, uh, people have been talking about this. This debate has been going on for ages, all the way back to the early church. So uh, just excited to have it here at uh, uh, the bar. And um, just, like I said, thank the guests again, uh, each one of you guys uh, for coming on. We definitely will have you back so that we can uh, do this thing again, man. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's all for the glory of God. And it's all, you know, uh, it's all about um, um, reaching the lost and, and 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 making sure God's people aren't deceived. Because this this whole broadcast uh, was was birthed out of the Be Not Deceived page. Which make sure you check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Um, I want to let the guests know, man, to um, to to friend me, like me, whatever, friend me, so I can get your information when I post this on. On the podcast, so people know how to get up with you, so they can see your stuff and uh, all that. Uh, and, and that's about it, guys. Man, I really appreciate every one of you. And um, we can call it a wrap, man. God bless. Make sure you uh, check us out on uh, on iTunes. God bless y'all. We out. Great to be. All right. The bar, biblical and performing. For those of us who claim Christ, our authority is the scripture. For those who don't claim Christ or who claim another, I'd like for them to, we challenge them to explain a standard of truth apart from scripture. Uh, explain the nature of good and evil apart, apart from the scripture. Um, there, there's, you, you have no context, there's no justification for it, except for the whims of, of, man, of, you know, of men. And so, man, we, we stand upon the foundation of the scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone, man. Doctrine. Yeah, sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Yeah, that means scripture alone. What's your eternal situation for the age of creation? For he laid the foundation. Was a plan for expiation? Christ became propitiation. Meaning, he switched his places on the cross for our disgraces. In the crowd, he saw our faces. What's up, bar listeners? It's finally here. The bar exclusive content. Yes, that's right. You can sign up to receive exclusive content as low as $2 a week or $5 a month, $50 for the year to get exclusive content. What is the exclusive content? I'm glad you asked. The exclusive content is additional information from my guests, extra time with them in like the green moon setting, laid back, them asking me questions, I ask them questions, and also the Facebook group. You get an invitation to the Facebook group where we will have discount codes for the bar gear and many many more make sure you sign up the links in the show notes join the vip inside the bar group and we'll see you there